Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 7 The Town Sparrow. This too will pass, is a Persian word. Gibby's agony passed, for God is not the God of the dead but of the living, through the immortal essence in life, in him. Life became again life, and he ran about the streets as before. Some may think that we get Sir Gibby, as many now called him, some knowing the truth, and others in kindly mockery, would get on all the better for the loss of such a father, but it was not so. In his father he had lost his paradise, and was now a creature expelled. But the streets, and the people, and the shops, the horses, and the dogs, even the penny loaves, though he was hungry, had lost half their precious delight. When his father was no longer in the accessible background, the heart of the blissful city. As to food and clothing, he did neither much better nor any worse than before. People were kind, as usual, and kindness was to Gibby the very milk of nature. Whose the hand that proffered it, or what the form it took, he cared no more than a stray kitten cares whether the milk set down to it be in a blue saucer or a white. But he always made the right return. The first thing a kindness deserves is acceptance. The next is transmission. Gibby gave both, without thinking much about either, for he never had taken, and indeed never learned to take, a thought about what he should eat, or what he should drink, or wherewithal he should be clothed, a fault rendering him, in the eyes of the economist of this world, utterly unworthy of a place in it. There is a world, however, and one pretty closely mixed up with this, though it never shows itself to one who has no place in it. The birds of whose air have neither storehouse nor barn, but are just such thoughtless cherubs, thoughtless for themselves, that is, as we, Sir Gibby. It would be useless to attempt convincing the mere economist that this great city was a little better, a little happier, a little merrier for the presence in it of the child, because he would not, even if convinced of the fact, recognize the game. But I venture the assertion to him that the conduct of not one of its inhabitants was the worse for the example of Gibby's apparent idleness, and that not one of the poor women who now and then presented the small baronet with a penny or a bit of bread or a scrap of meat or a pair of old trousers, shoes nobody gave him, and he neither desired nor needed any, ever felt the poorer for the gift, or complained that she should be so taxed. Positively or negatively, then, everybody was good to him, and Gibby felt it. But what could make up for the loss of his paradise? The bosom of a father. Drunk of father as he was, I know of nothing that can or ought to make up for such a loss, except that which can restore it. The bosom of the father of fathers. He roamed the streets as all his life before, the whole of the day and part of the night. He took what was given him, and picked up what he found. There were some who would gladly have brought him within the bounds of an ordered life. 
He soon drove them to despair, however, for the streets had been his nursery, and nothing could keep him out of them. But the sparrow and the rook are just as respectable in reality, though not in the eyes of the henwife as the egg-laying fowl or the dirt-gobbling duck, and however Gibby's habits might shock the ladies of Mr. Scatler's congregation, who sought to civilize him, the boy was no more about mischief in the streets at night than they were in their beds. They collected enough for his behoof to board him for a year with an old woman who kept a school, and they did get him to sleep one night in her house. But in the morning, when she would not let him run, out brought him into the schoolroom, her kitchen, and began to teach him to write. Gibby failed to see the good of it. He must have space, change, adventure, air, or life was not worth the name to him. Above all, he must see friendly faces, and that of the old dame was not such. But he desired to be friendly with her, and once, as she le leaned over him, put up his hand, not a very clean one, I am bound to give her the advantage of my confessing, to stroke her cheek. She pushed away, him roughly away, rose in indignation upon her crutch, and lifted her cane to chastise him for the insult. A class of Irkins to Gibby's eyes, at least looking unhappy, were at the moment blundering through the twenty-third psalm. Ever after, even when now Sir Gibby more than understood the great song, the words, Thy rod and thy staff, like the, would still call up in the figure of the dame Irrit, in her horned spectacles and her black ribboned cap, leaning with one arm on her crutch and with the other uplifting what was with her no mere symbol of authority. Like a shell from a mortar, he departed from the house. She hobbled to the door after him, but his diminutive figure many yards away, his little bare legs misty with swiftness as he ran, was the last she ever saw of him, and her pupils had a bad time of it the rest of the day. He never even entered the street again in which she lived. Thus, after one night's brief interval of respectability, he was again a rover of the city. A flitting insect that lighted here and there and spread wings of departure the moment a fresh desire awoke. It would be get difficult to say where he slept, in summer anywhere, in winter where he could find warmth, like animals better clad than he, yet like him, able to endure cold, he re revealed in mere heat when he could come by it. Sometimes he stood at the back of a baker's oven, for he knew all the haunts of heat about the city. Sometimes he buried himself in the sids, huskers of oats, lying ready to feed the kiln of a mule mule. Sometimes he lay by the furnace of the steam engine of the waterworks. One man employed there, when his time was at night, always made a bed for Gibby. He had lost his own only child, and this one of nobody's was a comfort to him. Even those who looked upon wandering as wicked, only scolded into the sweet upturned face, pouring gall into a cup of wine too full to receive a drop of it, and did not hand him over to the police. Useless, verily, that would have been, for the police would as soon have thought of taking up a town sparrow as Gibby, and would only have laughed at the idea. They knew Gibby's merits better than any of those good people imagined his faults. It requires either wisdom or large experience to know that a child is not necessarily wicked, even if born and brought up in a far valor and torage than was Gibby. The merits the police recognized in him were mainly two, neither of small consequence in their eyes. The first, that of utter harmlessness. 
second and positive one, a passion and power for rendering help, taking notable shape chiefly in two ways, upon both of which I have already more than touched. The first was the peculiar faculty now pretty generally known, his great gift, some his great love, others called it for finding things lost. It was no wonder the town crier sought his acquaintance, and when secured had cultivated it, neither a difficult task. For the boy ever since he could remember had been in the habit, as often as he saw the crier, or heard his talk of drum in the distance, of joining him and following until he had acquainted himself with all particulars concerning everything proclaimed as missing. The moment he had mastered the facts, announced, he would dart away to search, and not unfrequently to return with the things sought. But it was not by any means only things sought that he found. He continued to come upon things of which he had no simulacrum in his fantasy. These having no longer a father to carry them to, he now, their owners unknown, took to the crier, who always pretended to receive them with a suspicion which Gibby understood as little as the other really felt, and at once advertised them to, by drum and cry. What became of them after that Gibby never knew. If they did not find their owners, neither did they find their way back to Gibby. If their owners were found, the crier never communicated with him on the subject. Plainly, he regarded Gibby as the favored jackal whose privilege it was to hunt for the crier, the royal lion of the city forest. But he spoke kindly to him, as well he might, and now and then gave him a penny. The second of the positive merits by which Gibby found acceptance in the eyes of the police was a yet more peculiar one. Growing out of his love for his father, and his experience in the exercise of that love, it was, however, unintelligible to them, and so remained except on the theory commonly adopted with regard to Gibby, namely, that he was an other. Not the less was it to them a satisfactory whim of his, seeing it mitigated their trouble as guardians of the nightly peace and safety. It was indeed the main cause of his being like themselves, so much in the street at night. Seldom did Gibby seek his lair, I cannot call it couch, before the lengthening hours of the morning. If the finding of things was a gift, this other peculiarity was a passion, and a right human passion, absolutely possessing this child. It was to play the guardian angel to drunk folk. If such a distressed human hove in sight, he would instantly bear down upon and hover about him until resolved as to his real condition. If he was in such distress as to require assistance, he never left him till he saw him safe within his own door. The police asserted that we, Sir Gibby, not only knew every drunkard in the city and where he lived, but where he generally got drunk as well. That one was in no danger of taking the wrong turning, upon whom Gibby was in attendance, to determine, by shove on this side or that, that the direction in which the hesitating, uncertain man was to go. He seemed a visible embodiment of that special providence which is said to watch over drunk people and children. Only here a child was the guardian of the drunkard, and this branch of his mission was well known to all who, without qualifying themselves for coming under his cherubic cognizance, were in the habit of now and then returning home late. He was least known to those to whom he rendered most assistance. Rarely had he thanks for it, never half pence, but not unfrequently blows and abuse. For the first he cared nothing, 
The last, owing to his great agility, seldom visited him with any directness. Though almost nothing could now have induced him to go down Jink Lane, yet about the time the company at Mistress Crowell's would be breaking up, he would almost nights be lying in wait a short distance down the witty hill, ready to minister to that one of his father's old comrades who might prove most in need of his assistance, and if he showed him no gratitude, Gibby had not been trained in his school where he was taught to expect, or even to wish for any. I could now give a whole chapter to the setting forth of the pleasures the summer brought him, city summer as it was, but I must content myself with saying that first of these, and not least, was the mere absence of the cold of the other seasons, bringing with it many privileges. He could lie down anywhere and sleep when he would, or spend, if he pleased, whole nights awake in a churchyard, or on the deck of some vessel discharging her cargo at the quay, or running about the still sleeping streets. Thus he got to know the shapes of some of the constellations, and not a few of the aspects of the heavens. But even then he never felt alone, for he gazed at the vista, from the midst of a city full of his fellows. Then there were the scents of the laylocks, and the roses, and the carnations, and the sweet peas, that came floating out from the gardens, contending sometimes with those of the grocers' and chemists' shops. Now and then, too, he came in for a small feed of strawberries, which were very plentiful in their season, sitting there on a hospitable doorstep, with the feet and faces of friends passing him in both directions, and love embodied in the warmth of summer, summer all about him. He would eat his strawberries and inherit the earth. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acre Salt Story Classic. Music